Well, good morning, church. Man, it's been an amazing week at the Vineyard. I got to tell you what. Four parks, one mission. Miss Heather's creative brainchild for the last several years has taken Bible school out into four parks around the community, take the gospel of Jesus, the love of Jesus out into parks. My goodness, I guess there were like 120 people at the celebration uh, Friday night for it. That's fantastic. Thank you to all you uh, volunteers, everybody who had a part in that. That's, that's a big ask, and uh, it's fantastic. Yesterday was another fantastic 5K here at the Vineyard Wool, saving lives one drop at a time, raising uh, money and awareness for our water well ministry in India. Uh, thanks to the participants who ran it. It was a nice, cool morning. Ah, I don't think so. And uh, thanks to the volunteers who were out there on the course, pointing and giving water and all that kind of thing. And uh, also should mention that uh, the newlyweds Jared and Leanne Smith crossed the line together in first place. Is that just the <laughs> sweetest thing? Audrey Gaines was the first uh, youth, a uh, minor, if you will, to cross the finish line. It was fantastic. So thanks so much for all of that. I got to talk about the Finding Jesus tour, okay? Now, here's my commitment. I'm trying not to talk about it all the time, all right? I'm trying not to talk about it all the time, and so if you'll just give me a few minutes to kind of get it out of my system, is that all right? So uh, I just want to thank you, those of you who loaned us camping gear, those who prayed for us, those who cooked for us, thank you, Karen, those who, leaders who helped me with it, like Jamie and Joe and Dylan and Sarah, thank you so much. For, uh, for being a part of it. Uh, if there are any leaders in here, I know some teach Sunday school and stuff, any, any students in here who'd like to come up real quick, I'm going to give you a microphone in a second. Just briefly tell a highlight. Anybody who'd like to do that, come on up. Wow, you got to love that. They just jumped right up, right? Come on up. All right, give, it a hand. give them a hand. Come on. While they're coming, what was the Finding Jesus tour? It was four days of living in close community right? <laughs> close community, 10 high school students, close community, uh, and utter dependence on Jesus. It was 10 kids going four days without their phones. You should have seen them. They were so free. Uh, it was every day waking up and worshiping God and praying and asking two questions. Lord, where should we go today? And then second, what should we bring? And then piling everybody into one rented 15-passenger van. Why do they call them 15-passenger vans, right? <laughs> they have 15 seat belts. It's more like a 12-passenger van that we shoved 14 people into. And uh, we drove around until, until we found the place that Jesus, that Jesus really spoke to us about. And it was amazing. One, two, three, four. I could show you pictures of how God just led us every day. I mean, the kids, I said, go out and pray and then come back and tell what you see. And kids would have this, uh, several kids would have the same picture. I see this big open field, okay? I see us flying kites, okay? Get your kites, let's go. I asked them all to bring a kite. Because I said, let's go fly kites sometime. And let's just see if we can get some kids to come and we'll give them the kites. In Jesus' name, right? And so I got this picture, okay? Then we threw a dart at a map. We prayed put a blindfold on one of the kids, turned them around five times, and threw a dart. Sometimes it hit the map. <laughs> when it didn't, we just kept going through kids till it hit the map. And then we went right, we tried to go right to where that, on that particular day, we got to that place, and Joe Galford, who was our driver, one of the leaders, 
he took very careful note of where that dot hit. And when, when, when we got there, he said, this is where the dot hit. We were in a community and apartments, projects kind of thing. And then right where that dot hit was this big open field. You heard it. Well, you heard it. We had this cool rented van. It was black with darkened windows. And so we rode around that neighborhood <laughs> with a poster that they had made that said, free kites. We didn't know why the kids weren't coming to that. I don't know. It finally occurred to us, right? Like, duh. So we just got out and started flying kites. A dad named Chris and his son named Chris came and flew a kite. And that dad was so blessed. Those kids, those kids, he, he tried to give us money. We're like, no, 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 you don't understand. But it was one, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. <laughs> Go, Joyce. Okay. So one of the days, we went to two churches, but not on the same day. So the second one, uh, Pastor Tom said, let's stop here because he saw a car parked. Um, so we got me and Linus, and we were uh, going around. And we were trying to open the doors, but they were locked, but one wasn't. So we walked through, but no one was there. So then we left. But um, as we were leaving, we saw, like, some people. So Pastor Tom went out, and he was talking to this uh, guy, which I forget his name. Bert. Uh, Bert. <laughs> uh, and he said that uh, we can go in and pray in the sanctuary. So we did. And... Before we did that, he went up to every kid and um, introduced himself, and he asked for our name. And he said that he wasn't supposed to be there, but he decided to like go and work. Um, so after that, we prayed with him, and he talked with us some. And he there was an ice cream parlor shop across the street, and he bought all of our ice cream. So that was really nice of him to do, <laughs> do that. <laughs> nice. Right. Go try. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the first day we went to the fr a free store and, um, and um, we had these cards that like, we were supposed to introduce ourselves and um, like, say that um, we were going to pray earlier later that night and so you just went up to people like they're just so open like they just like share their story with us and, like we just prayed for them at the end of the day it was like just so cool how they were just like so open with us and um like just like thankful that we were there oh, i'm so proud of you guys thank you so much thanks So I've had the privilege of working with the youth group for some time now, and I want to say of the whole group, I could not be more proud of them. Yeah, amen. We've been leading up to this Finding Jesus tour by teaching every young person how to hear the voice of God and how to respond to it, and I'm so impressed with how they're hungry for this, how they're diving in full force, how they're in the word, how they're praying. I'm just so impressed. Um, and as for the tour, I just think of the word still. We were busy every day, we were going out, we were doing fun things, but we were not on our phones, we were not at work, we were not doing extracurriculars or learning how to drive, we were still. And we did amazing things like flying kites, like having water fights, like playing on swing sets, you know, these wholesome things that we don't always appreciate. Um, and the scripture that comes to mind is be still and know that I am God. 
And that is what happened this week is the children, I'm sorry, the young people were, <laughs> were still. And they said, God, speak to us. God, show us things. And because of that faithfulness, he showed himself. And it was just amazing. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. It was such a great week. I have so many stories to tell you that I'm not going to tell you, and they're, they're going to leak out eventually, but uh, God was just on the move with this thing from the moment we started. We didn't know if it was going to work, so to speak. It was a huge risk, and uh, high risk, high reward, right? Boy, the Lord really showed up, and I just want to thank all of you who had any part in it. Uh, those kids, uh, at the end of it, they, they, they were, when we were praying in that circle there uh, in my front yard, uh, some of them were praying, God, these were the best four days of my life. And these, these, these young people have really, really been touched. I was left with such a deep and profound sense of God with these guys and of purpose. And that, oh yeah, that's, that's what we're doing here. A purpose. It was so fantastic. I came away with this question. There, there was just so much love and there was so much unity with these 10 kids. I came away with this question like, Lord, how come it can't be like this all the time? How come like the church can't be just like this, this utter dependence on God, always seeing you wherever we look? How come it can't be this way? I started to pray about, you know, you ever come back from a mission trip, an amazing mission trip, or maybe you've been to some really amazing conference or something, and you're like, how come, how come we can't fly at this altitude all the time? And just began to pray and ask, ask the Lord, because it was four days of love. It was four days of living in community. It was four days of laughing. It was four days of amazement. Uh, there were special moves of God's Holy Spirit. Gathered, I have a cross erected on our farm, and we walked out to the cross. And Sunday night, second day of the tour. You see, the whole goal was, was to, and I told him right from the beginning, my whole goal was that every, every one of the ten of you would experience the Lord, would find Jesus, we called it, in, in at least one of the seven ways we'd been teaching during the four days. Sunday night around the cross, out in the woods at my house, I just remember standing there and I said, something so powerful happened on, on Sunday afternoon to this church we happened into that this pastor who stayed with us for two and a half hours after she had preached and, and talked to the kids, let them pray for her, and then individually prophesied over each one of the kids. Two and a half hours. And we just walked, we just walked in there because the Lord led us there because the kid had to go to the bathroom. And I saw people coming out of that church, and I thought, well, they'll probably let us use the bathroom. As soon as I pulled into the parking lot, the Lord said two things to me. He said, there's more in there. There's more. And the second one is that the pastor will be a woman, be a female. I knew those things going in. So I walking in, and there's people coming out, and I see this woman talking to another woman. I said, would you happen to be the pastor? And she says, no, but she's inside. Yes, Okay. That night, around the cross, I asked the kids, how many of you found Jesus today? Whew. All ten of them, their hand just, I mean, shot up in unison. There was no hesitation. They found Jesus. There was so much love among those kids. Four days, ten teenagers, about 20 hours of it was in a van, a tight van. You know how many disputes I had to settle between those teenagers? None. Now, if that's not a move of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> not one dispute in four days. What? 
You know how many times I had to say to students, that's not cool, don't do that? Twice. <laughs> they're students, come on, they're high school kids, right? Twice in four days, I had two things that happened where I said, that's not cool. Twice. There was so much power, there was so much love. We saw these kids rally around one of them who had, one of the kids had been sick, been sick for months, and he was kind of tentatively on the trip because of this condition that doctors can't find, and we've prayed for him, we've anointed him, he's still got this thing. And, and, and Monday night, he just got so sick that he had to go home. He had to go home. His mom came and got him at the farm and came home, and those kids started praying. Those kids had prayed for him. Those kids started praying, God, make him better tonight. Bring him back tomorrow. Next morning when they were setting the table for breakfast at the student table, they set up 10 places instead of nine. They knew he was coming back. Just as they were finishing breakfast, as, as his van pulled up into my driveway, those kids ran from the table and they mobbed him. And they thank God. To see these 10 high school students show a deep respect and authentic love for the people we met. Never once were they lippy, were they high schoolish. Why can't it be like this all the time? Why can't it be like the Acts chapter 2 church? And so I'm asking God, how come it can't be like this in the whole church all the time? Is it a lack of faith? Lord, we just not have enough faith because there's a lot of faith in this move. Is it a shallow sacrifice that we're making as people? What's going on that it can't be like this all the time? Is it because we're just too busy with the distractions of the world? Was it as simple as putting away the phones? What was it, Lord, that, that caused that to happen? What do we got to do to have that all the time? So I pray and I'm asking the Father, I get the sense that there are certain things that block that kind of life among us as believers. And so as I was pressing in on that in prayer, here's what I heard the Lord say. Tell them about forgiveness again. Tell them about forgiveness again. There's a wonderful picture of the church in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, where the Bible says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That was the nature of the, of the week. That was the nation. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then in verse 13 it says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then verse 14 says, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And love and unity was the nature of the group. So in this sandwich passage here where it says, you know, your patience, kindness, et cetera, which is the life we want to live with each other, and, and then loving each other and binding it all together in perfect unity. In this sandwich, the meat of it is forgive one another as God has forgiven you. This is such a critical feature in how, we, in, 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 in how we live our lives and if we're going to get this and if we're going to enjoy the power of the Lord in his fullness among us. Because one of the most obvious blocks in the flow of the life of God into the church is this thing called unforgiveness. It's the greatest hindrances to the flow of God's life in the church. Three of the most powerful words 
that, that you could ever say are, I forgive you. They are so powerful. Because when you say that, forgiveness sets two people free, doesn't it? Forgiveness sets two people free. It breaks the chains of two people. It sets the person free for whom you're, you're, you're holding this grievance, you're, against whom you were holding this grievance, this sin, this offense, this hurt, this injustice. But that's not right. And you were holding them in some kind of imaginary, perhaps, prison, but you were holding them there. But more so, you, you were in the same jail, weren't you? You were in the same spot with that bitterness, with that anger, with that rage, with the, with the thoughts of vengeance. Why I, if I had the chance? And so forgiveness, saying I forgive you, sets two people free, and it opens up the life of God into the church. Three questions. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is releasing someone for their sin against you by bearing the cost of it yourself. What? Forgiveness is releasing someone for their sin against you by bearing the cost of it yourself. It's picking up the check for someone else's sin. Psychology says that forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of anger, resentment, or vengeance toward a person or a group who has harmed you. But psychologically, that's, that's, that's a way to think about it. It's a conscious, deliberate decision to release these feelings of anger, resentment, or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. Now, that definition has merit, but it doesn't really go far enough to talk about what forgiveness is, because that's just a conscious decision on your part to go, I'm not going to stress about that anymore. I'm going to let that go. But the offense is still left un unpaid for. The offense still hangs in the air, doesn't it? I like the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, where it tells us what forgiveness is. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Yeah? The old is gone, the new has come. Somebody celebrate that. All this is from God, this newness, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So he, he forgave us through Christ and reconciled us. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that, that the, the, the mandate of the church is to be people of reconciliation to the world. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Here's forgiveness, not counting men's sins against them. God doesn't count our sins against us because of Christ. He doesn't count. He has forgiven us. But you have to keep reading to really understand the nature of the forgiveness. And he, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, in forgiving us, God picked up the bill. You see, God's holy. And he's not going to just say, you know, Eric, Forget about it. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is, I've got this for you. I paid the way. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God. So God picked up the tab for your sin and my sin, brother. And that's forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't just, oh, it's okay. okay. Forget about it. He says, I got this. I'll bear this. That's what forgiveness is. I think it's important to think about the distinction between an apology and forgiveness. An apology and forgiveness. An apology, when we say I'm sorry to someone, it's, it's really for a minor, a, a, a kind of a minor offense, if you will. It's a minor reconciliation when someone has thoughtlessly caused pain or discomfort. We apologize, we say I'm sorry when we realize we've been inconsiderate. So this morning I had to apologize to Peggy Barker. She's our wonderful ministry assistant here, and she would never expect this kind of an apology. But this morning, uh, you know, my whole week was like jacked up because of uh, the kids. What are you going to do? And, you know, so I'm like way behind on everything for the rest of the week, getting ready to preach and stuff. And so even this morning, God, when I wake up early this morning, God downloads some fresh manna. So I go, well, I have to change some slides, and I have to change the outline. So this morning at 6.30, I email Peggy. And I say, attached, you will find these slides on the outline for today, even though they're already done. Now, that's a time when you say, and I started by saying, so sorry, sister, right? Because it's inconsiderate. She's got a lot to do on Sunday mornings as it is without having me say, let's do that all over again, right? It's inconsiderate. And so the right thing to do, because I care about Peggy, is to say, I'm sorry about this. And she's like, no worries. She's too... To an apology, you can say, it's okay. It's okay. I understand. I get it. You're a putz. <laughs> I get it. I'm used to it by now. <laughs> right? No, that's not how she rolls. Okay. But forgiveness is releasing someone from the, from the power of the sin that was committed against you. It's releasing them. It's saying, I'll bear that. I got that. You're forgiven. Perhaps some of you at some point have had a debt forgiven. Maybe you were fortunate and you owed someone some money and they forgave the debt. Well, somebody had to pay that debt in order for it to be forgiven, right? So even if it's the person you, to whom you owed money, it was like, I got it. I'll cover it. The debt is forgiven. But the debt was still there. But it was forgiven. It was born by the forgiver. I'll forgive you. Accepting an apology is based on that's okay, I understand it. I will not hold it against you, though I could, because it's still in the air. It's an unintentional offense. That's okay. Forgiveness is based on, I'll cover this for you. I cannot hold it against you because it's been removed, because it's been covered. It's an intentional act of the will. When someone sins against us, that's when, that's when forgiveness is necessary and not an apology. 
It's the same way with God. I think a lot of American evangelism seems more about apologizing to God than it does repenting and receiving his forgiveness. It's like a Groupon. We have this group apology to God. And we have this sense of our own sin, our own failures, our own shortcomings. Sorry, 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 sorry. You ever been in one of those relationships where the person is always saying sorry? It's just hard to bear that, isn't it? <laughs> okay, you know, after the 90th sorry, could you just maybe look at the thing for a second? Just for a second? Maybe make a few tweaks? And I feel like the church is going to God and saying, sorry, 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 now, I'm not saying that remorse and regret isn't a part of repentance, but that's not forgiveness. The offer of the cross is not, sorry, 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 sorry. It's like, I, I'm here before you, I repent, I turn away from my sin, I come to the cross, I need you to, I need you to bear this sin for me. I need, and of course there's remorse in it, but that's not the point of it. The point is, I, I own it. I need to be forgiven. I need Christ and the power of his blood in my life. And it requires repentance, turning away from the sin to the cross. I, I think we do this thing, we stay toward the sin, and we're like, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, sorry, 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 sorry. And we wonder why we can't get altitude in our relationship with God. Is forgiveness of me contingent upon my forgiveness of others? You know, we're always hearing about God's unconditional love, but in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, if you forgive people of their sins, God will forgive you, and if you don't, he won't. Those are pretty powerful words, right? Makes it sound conditional. I think of it this way. Our willingness and ability to forgive others, our willingness and ability to forgive others is the litmus test of whether or not we have truly received the forgiveness of God. <laughs> how, how could you fully embrace what God has done for you on the cross and not be forgiving toward others, right? How could you possibly be? The whole business of receiving God's forgiveness and being forgiving toward others are never far from each other and if you, have, if you believe that you're a Christian because you prayed a prayer or signed a card or had a big moment, but at the same time are racked with bitterness and unforgiveness, then I should implore you to go back to the cross and be sure you have repented and received God's forgiveness. Jesus told a story in Matthew 18 about a king who called the servants in to settle accounts. And one guy owed him a whole bunch of money. And he said, I can't pay it, I can't pay it. The king says, all right, I forgive the debt. I'll bear the cost. And then in the story, Jesus says, this guy goes out and he, he runs into somebody who owed him like 1% of what he had owed the king. And you would expect him to be like, we are so good, we are so cool, you won't believe what just happened to me, right? But instead he grabs the guy and he chokes him. And he says, pay me what you owe me. Well, the other servants told the king about it. And the king called the first guy back in and said, we are not good. He said, not cool. I think if we don't, if we're racked with 
bitterness and unforgiveness, if we're imprisoned by that, you should run right back to the cross. Jesus said, was asked, how many times should I forgive my brothers? They sinned against me, and he said, 70 times 7 or 700 times 7. He says, keep, keep, as many times, he said, he said, if your brother sins against you and comes back and says, I repent, forgive him. And if in seven times in a day your brother comes back and says, I repent, sins against you and comes back and says, I repent, forgive him. You know what the, you know what the disciples with the next line in the passage is? They said, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> they didn't say that with five loaves and two fish and 5,000 walking on water, raising Lazarus. from. The, they, they, they didn't say that about any of the miraculous stuff, but it was like, what? Increase our faith. You see, we need God in order to do this. We just need God in order to do this. If you find you cannot truly forgive yourself and forgive others, then I say that your relationship with God is broken and you are not where you may think you are. The relationship God is offering on the cross is paid for. It's a relationship of love. And the Lord said, as I have loved you, so you now must love one another. At the center of the Lord's love for us is forgiveness. And he says, as I have loved you, so now you must love one another. I don't have time to do the third question. I just want to tell you that forgiveness releases the power of God into the body of Christ. Forgiveness opens up the flow of God's spirit into his body. In Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so often that's preached like, you know, Chris, the sin that you have in your, that you know, your own sin, if you regard that in your heart and don't deal with it, God will not hear you. And that's true. It'll break down the relationship with God. Unconfessed sin, me too. But what about this? It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What if I'm regarding your sin in my heart? What if someone has sinned against me and I'm holding on to that? And I'm cherish NIV says if I cherish sin in my heart. What if I'm cherishing your sin? What if I'm regarding your iniquity in my heart? Then I'm restricting the flow. The Lord will not hear me. I'm restricting the flow of the power of God. We're going we're gonna to just open up our time just to asking God to give us the power to forgive. Anything could happen. If we, if we as a believers, we, we become forgiving to a, a radical degree, then the flow of God's Holy Spirit, I believe, will also be commensurate with that, will be radical. If we hold on to the bitterness, the unforgiveness, I think we're, we're, it's a choke point for the move of God in the church. So I don't know where you are right now, but I'm encouraging you to seek the Lord this morning and just ask him, what do I need to do? How do I, how do I need to get out of this prison? How can I become a forgiving person? You know, likely some of you are thinking of someone right now that you, and I'm not minimizing the offense, you guys. I am not minimizing what's been done to you. I get that, believe me. 
But because Jesus bore the cost for you of your sin, can you not also ask him to give you the power to bear the cost of that offense and forgive that person? You know, forgiveness is so contagious. When the church starts moving in radical forgiveness, it's just so, it's like fire. I saw fire this morning in the spirit. It's part of why I invited people to come up. It's fire. The whole, whole river's on fire. There's a fire up here just to burn off whatever would hold you. It's so, it's so contagious. We, were, we stopped at a corner, a van full of kids, and there was a homeless woman there. We were a couple cars back. I spotted her and I said, hey, stick up an offering quick. Money starts flying toward the front of the van. We gave that woman $50 and three bottles of ice cold water and a gospel of Mark. It just brought the place to life. Not long after that, I felt like everybody was thirsty. I asked Joe to go through a drive-thru at McDonald's. He said, you can all have one drink. Small. So we're paying for the, the people, or paying for our drink. I said to Joe, hey, let's, let's pay for the people behind us, which we did. He was watching in his mirror, and the, he said, they're paying. They got their arms out the window, and they're waving to us. And they were apparently paying for the people behind them. Lord, come. Infect us with forgiveness. Infect us with the capacity to be contagious in our forgiveness. Lord, come into this house right now. We repent of our sin. We turn to you. And we ask for the flow of your Holy Spirit to come and give us power to forgive. Who'd like to come and be a part of what the Holy Spirit's doing up in this river of fire this morning? If you need some help forgiving, maybe you, it's up to you. It's, you it's, it's your heart, it's your life. Who'd like to come? Who'd like to come? Who'd like to come? Church, church, always stand, please.